Welcome to the Wondering Toward Wisdom podcast. Uh, in this one, Joel and I are going to be continuing our conversation on faith, and uh, we'll see where we get. And this this goes along with a series of blogs on on faith on the Tactical Faith website, and we encourage you to go uh, read those, uh, if only just to stroke my ego. Anyway, <laughs> so here we go. Uh, I am Travis. I'm Joel. And today we're, like Travis said, we're picking up that conversation from last time. And um, we we think we need to get more clear on the idea of objectivity because we kept talking about how we're not really clear about it in the last one. And, um, and you know, often faith and objectivity are kind of set uh, at odds with each other. And we should probably be clear what we mean by objectivity um, so we can begin to discuss how it relates to faith. Now, in uh, the the blog post that Travis was referring to, there, there's, he's got a post called Overlapping Magisterium, where he gives us a quote from uh, Stephen Jay Gould about how science and religion are non-overlapping magisterium. That is, science has nothing to say to, to religion, and religion has nothing to say to science. Science is, tells us about facts. Religion tells us about meaning. And so... Um, facts are often considered, you know, objective, these objective things. So, um, what, what might we mean by objectivity? What, what are some, what are some ways that we could think of, or what are ways that people think that we think about it as opposed to what it might actually mean in some sort of functional use for our discussion, at least? Right. Uh, well, I think objectivity, the way it's generally understood and, and in the blogs too, I sort of I start I start off talking about objectivity sort of this way, but as they develop, um, it becomes clear that maybe I reject this view. But objectivity generally means something like uh, seeing things as they really are, untainted by opinion, untainted by uh, unsupported beliefs, untainted really specifically by values. Um, so uh, if you were to simply look at the world and you looked at it without caring at all about anything, uh, not caring at all about any kind of, all you care about is the truth. Um, that's what you would see. Uh, you would have an objective perspective and, and this plays an important role, right? I mean, the idea of being objective seems essential to questions of justice questions, of even, even science, how could science how could we have any kind of confidence in science if it weren't objective? Um, would planes keep flying if science were driven by the desire to, I don't know, a, a desire for the world to be a certain way. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because that's, that's what objectivity, basically what it says is the truth sort of lies out there. Objective truth is that which lies out there and we come to discover it. And we usually compare that to subjective I don't know, the word truth is a little bit complicated here, but let's just say subjective belief. But We can use the word subjective truth, just put truth in square, scare quotes here. But subjective truth, which is things that you really want to want to be the case or that you love or something like that, maybe hopes, faith, desires, things like that kind of relate to those. And so objective truth is out there, so it's solid. It'll always be the case. And we can we can thoroughly trust that it's that it will always be the case because it's untainted by any kind of value that I hold. So, um, 
know, this seems to focus, you know, what you said, uh, value is, is, plays a big role. And, um, when we talk about subjective truth, we often talk about, you know, how our experience adds value to the objective reality of the world. Um, but if you've been listening to, uh, this podcast for any time, you know, that, uh, both Travis and I, uh, disagree with that idea that we we would say no the the what's out there actually contains value and it's not that we are adding value when we uh perceive something through our subjective experience but that uh we're we're trying to bring our subjective experience in line with the value that's actually there right right that that's an that's an important element because and i i kind of want to just reiterate what you said the idea that we, the idea that we have, and it's 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 kind of a question begging way of approaching the world, is that the there is no value in the world, there's no value in things themselves, and so we develop out of the belief that there's no value in things themselves, a science that proves that there's no value in things themselves, or is incapable of perceiving value, we might say, and so, uh, but what we're saying is that there is in fact value. There's 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 true value in things. And we can start, we can start perceiving value in things by talking about personhood, right? Does, do people have an in, inherent or an intrinsic value? I think most of us would at least want to say yes, but is it true? Mm -hmm. Is it objectively true that they have value? If all value is subjective, then it's not true that everyone has value. In fact, their value is no more, they're no more valuable than a rock or a piece of dirt. Um, and then we fall into, into, you know, this obviously all moral way of living and nihilism, so on and so forth, um, if we try to live in accordance with that. But most of us would say that that's not well, true. Well, let, let me, uh, because I, I have heard this view put forward that does accept what you just said, but still finds a way to attribute value. Right. Um, and that is saying there's, there's no, no value in the world. Uh, it's all about the subjective experience. However, uh, this is from a Christian point of view. Um, it's not the only Christian point of view, but it's one, one that's out there. Um, some Christians will say, well, but God through the triune God's subjective experience of the world, there's value perceived by the triune God. And as the creator of the universe, what the triune God perceives is what's is, is how we are to live. And so even if there's not value in the objects themselves, the fact that they are viewed by the triune God as being having value as you know, that the triune God brings value through the way that the, that is, those things are seen. Um, then those things have value, even if they don't have objective value. Yeah. That's a really interesting sort of claim, and I'm not even sure really what to think about that, except I feel like it's <laughs> wrong, <laughs> a wrong, because that suggests that there's a truer way of truer, clearer way of seeing things beyond how God sees them. And by the way, I know what that way of seeing how seeing things I can actually perceive things more clearly than God can, which strikes me as. I think hubris is the word I'm looking for here. Um, 
it seems it's it seems strange. And so, I mean, to to pull and I, I know in many ways we're trying to stick sort of to a, to a philosophical reflection here, but we're Christians, so deal with it. Um, when it says that God created, if you, if you look in Genesis one, when God created, God created things, and then he saw that it was good. So he he perceived that that it was good. He didn't decide that it was good. Um, right. And so the idea is, I guess it would be something, and this actually relates to the Euthyphro dilemma uh, issue too. When God created things, he created them in accordance with his character. So they're made good. And then he looks upon them and he sees that they in fact reflect his goodness. So therefore, everything is good by virtue of existence itself, because existence, I'm sorry to draw Plato and Augustinian kind of neo-Platonic <laughs> ideas in here, but uh, I think there's something to this, that being itself is good. And so if to, to perceive something as being is to perceive goodness and therefore to not perceive the value is to not perceive the thing. Now that's kind of jumping to the end there, but but I, if indeed let's let's leave it as a hypothetical. If indeed the account of creation given in Scripture and in Christian theology is accurate, then to there is no such thing as objective perception except as a make believe idea of how to perceive the world. But it clearly can't be an accurate way of perceiving the world. Well, let's bring it. Let's let's let's, let's pause here. Because I think you can define, you know, we're, we claimed we're going to talk about defining right. objectivity. And I think what you just said there is, an, you know, assumes that the definition of objective is without value. Right. And um, I don't, and that while that is a popular definition, I'm not convinced that that's necessarily the only definition or the most helpful definition for us. Um, as we talk about these ideas. Yeah, I feel like that's a thoroughly impractical. Well, we need to be careful here because because I, I want to I want to kind of get the broad sweep of, of of what objectivity can touch on because there are places where for for a for us to say that there's no such thing as a, as objectivity puts us in a really dangerous spot. Um, right. I remember I remember sitting in grad school in a particular class where a professor of law got up and spoke about how none of the Supreme Court justices are capable of judging objectivity, object objectively. Sorry. Uh, rather, they they could only judge based on their background and they're always going to align themselves with the kind of people that they grew up among or whatever. That struck me as sort of depressing and dangerous to hold that view. I know that gets into some cultural issues. So if you are, if you grew up, you know, uh, let's say, I mean, this is the example she gave, but if you grew up as a, a rich white man, you're going to make judgments that support rich white men. And therefore, the only way to approach a kind of objectivity on the bench is to bring in people from diverse backgrounds, diverse uh, socioeconomic cultural backgrounds, um, which there's an interesting element there because she who has a particular background claimed that you could achieve objectivity by bringing in diverse people, but 
what isn't objectivity just isn't she just supporting people with her own background? So um, there, there's there's a bit of a there's a bit of a self-referential issue there. Nevertheless, is there is there an element of objectivity, say, in law? I'm not saying do we achieve it, but should we be? Is any per person perfectly objective? I don't know if that's the case, but is that something we should be striving for? And maybe what we need to do is talk about what we mean by objectivity again. But. Yeah, I I think we need to talk about that because I I think the you know I I on one hand I would agree that we all bring our experiences to to the way that we uh, handle right. everything and you know and I think judges do that too and I I think part of being a good judge is 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 having wisdom about things. Um, such that you can work within the the laws, but you can recognize when um, the law might not be uh, structured in the 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 best way. Well, okay, so let's so let's let me um, let me let's 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 go there because that's that's good. Let's let's start though with the idea that a ju a judge would be purely objective. What would it? What kind of judgment would a judge make if if that judge were truly objective? Well, first of all, the judge would not care about the law or about people, right? Well, the, the judge would care about the law. It would just be no, about the law is how a do set we... of values. If a judge were truly objective, a judge would make a judge would make no judgment. Again, 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 <laughs> again. Assume, I'm going, I'm well, going absolute, assuming absolute objectivity. Okay, but by, by absolute objectivity, you're without, saying without yeah, I'm value. trying to, I'm, 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 I'm kind of trying to work with that definition to show how utterly, utterly useless it is. That definition is, is yes, I yes, uh, a judge without value would uh, who who does not uh, affirm any kind of value. Um, we'll make no judgment. We'll not make a judgment yeah. because and so and so. Right. Then let's ask us: What do we mean when we say an objective judge? And that's that's what you're getting on. What is what yes. do we mean by that? So yes. tell me, what is an objective judge? What do they value? So an objective judge, at least the way I think it's typically used by people, is going. They're going to value the law and understanding how the law is. Um, is well different people are going to have different ideas of what the objectivity should should involve some are going to say that the objectivity should be about what the law intends and some are going to say what right. the law actually says um and we could get into all kinds of discussions about that but in either situation they're looking for some sort of set uh standardized values to which they can insert the uh, the situation, and if you insert the situation correctly okay. into those set of values, then out the other end comes the clear answer. So there's a so so an, so an, an objective judge doesn't bring his or her own values, but rather uses the values value embedded in the law to. Um, to come to judgment in a way that 
I mean, you don't. You, the only value that that the that you want the judge educated to be, or the, the value in, in having an educated judge and educated in law, is that they can better uh, get the situation set up to plug it into the the machine of the law so that it spits out the right answer yeah. at the end. Yeah, that that's right. So, so that that's the whole idea is that you don't learn value simply by memorizing. Like, uh, even a Supreme Court judge just looking at the Constitution might not be sufficient. What they have to see this is the idea of precedent, which I know has problems and there's debatable stuff about that. Um, but uh, but but you look at precedent because that that shows you how va- how the values set up in the Constitution. And again, I know there's a lot of debate about how this works, <laughs> but uh, how the values set up in the Constitution manifest in particular situations that might not be so clear. They're not so clearly directly connected to the Constitution. And so, yeah, the whole point is that the judge is not objective in the absolute sense of having no value. The judge is objective insofar as they set aside their own favoritism and they're, they're steeped enough in the values that the laws give that they act in accordance with those. Um, I would say that that's what it means to be an objective scientist as well. Not that you have no value, but that you've been trained, and this is very much Thomas Kuhn, uh, thoroughly Thomas Kuhn. You'll see this all all over his uh, Structure of Scientific Revolutions book. The person who is doing good science, good scientific work, uh, except in the case of revolution, that thing, things get more complicated there. But during normal science, when when you're just working out uh, within the theories that we possess, uh, as we're doing now, uh, it's just you've been steeped in the values of the science, learning about the kinds of things to care about, the kinds of things not to care about. And you do that by begin, giving a bunch of problems, going through all the, sci- the scientific learning, giving problems, working through problems. And then you become an expert in the values of science. And then you act them out in relation to other research. So you're not valueless. You're not seeing the world without value. You're seeing it in accordance with the values that the science has set up, just like just like a, a, a judge. Um, so what does it mean? What would it mean for us? So given that, so this is a this is a a valued definition of objectivity. If, in fact, it might be the only practical definition of objectivity. If, the, if there is another kind of objectivity, in in the sense of being utterly valueless. And I'm not sure there's anyone or anything that perceives the world that way. So I'm not sure. It's kind of a, it's a, I don't know, it's a unicorn. I don't know what to do with it. Um, it's maybe you could have it in a show, but it's not, it's not real. Um, what does it mean for us to be objective? For a human being, generally speaking, to be objective? Well, I, based on what we, we just talked about, about the most practical definition you can't take the values of law and apply them to science you can't take the values of science and apply them to law because you have to be steeped within those particular values such that you can act within those values not of not um bringing your own ideas to it but acting just as one within those values Mm so it would make more sense to talk about legal objectivity or um, for 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 a particular human to be legally objective or scientifically objective, or um, pick your other value system that you want to that you want to um, choose, and it's working within that system in a way that's uh, independent of your own judgments that that one can be objective. 
Okay, so is there is there a an objective human being just approaching the world in an objective sense fully, or is it only within each category, within each particular field or practice? Based on the definition that that we just discussed, uh, objectivity seems like it has to be um, subject specific, not. Uh, not, not something that can be a, a broad claim. Hmm. I, I need to, I want to reflect on that. Cause it seems like, so what would it mean to be? Cause I'm wondering if it can be broadly applied, but different, different sorts that you, you step but whenever you're involved in a particular field, you're stepping into it. So I'm, I'm thinking of like basic wisdom or basic virtue. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is something like this. D does being objective in life mean the embodiment of a certain set of virtues? Such that the, the person who is being truly objective or being objective in the way that we've defined it, that is having a set of values that does not favor myself necessarily, even though this might get a little complicated here in a little bit, but uh, uh, maybe in the next next podcast, if we have another one here, uh, if we don't just give up and run away. <laughs> but uh, but it, mean, it would mean something like approaching the world in a way with wisdom and with virtue, because then you're possessing the values where you, re where you respond appropriately to things. So I'll give an example. Kant's, uh, the, the second formulation of Kant's categorical imperative, right? And uh, not a... Not that Kant's right about everything, um, but his second formulation or, or is the idea. That, what's that? Or, or much about <laughs> oh, oh, come on now. Um, uh, you can't say that about him. So um, uh, the idea that, so the second formulation is you should always treat others, other persons as not only as means, but also as ends in themselves. You would right. say, now what Kant is, is articulating there is an appropriate evaluation or an appropriate perception of value that is in fact there. And that seems a broad, if, if he's right about that, and it seems like the second formulation of the categorical imperative seems appropriate, right? You should never just use people, but always recognize that they are in fact, there's a value to them that goes beyond what can be used, but must simply be respected. Okay. Basic human dignity. Everybody has basic human dignity. doesn't matter who it is. Um, given that that's the case, if I'm going to have the appropriate value in relation to the world, I need to I need to be perceiving the value of people in that way. And, and we often fail to do so. So the person who is looking at things truly objectively would see the value in every single person. And not merely use them, but also recognize that they are ends in themselves. So that's what it means. That's what it would mean to perceive all things objectively. Um, the second formulation of the categorical imperative could be a form of practical. It would be a way of being objective in relation to other human beings, at least. The. Now, I mean, we're we're going to get into a you know, debate about Kant, but is the <laughs> if if we are to see the first formulation about the universe uh, universal ability of of uh, an action. Um, as the same thing as the second formulation, which 
I think that's what Kant intends us. Uh, Kant intends it to. Yes, to, he does. To to do that, um, that becomes a lot messier. Yeah, I happen to think I have this sense that his first formulation and his second formulation are in, are in fact rather strongly opposed to one another. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> then we're not going to really debate this much because yeah. I'm of the same view. Yeah. Um, and so the. The difficulty with even the second formulation is um, getting clear on on the ends, um, because so we're to get a little bit into um, the personalism of Carol Vitilia, mm -hmm. uh, the that re that requires me to uh, accurately perceive the ends of another person correctly. And um, okay. what can be really messy is we get into a sense of um, parentalism about people that we don't have that kind of relationship with. So, so I look at someone, you know, say I look at, um, you know, for, for lack of a better example, a, a homeless person on the street. And I look at them and I say, for me to treat you as an ends – that means that you need to be, you know, in this situation doing this kind of thing. And so to treat them in a way that that helps them move in that way, when in reality they have some sort of um, disability that, that would prevent them from actually fulfilling the ends that I have in mm -hmm. mind for them, um, that becomes problematic because then I think that I have to treat them a certain way in order for them to meet their ends that – is not their actual right. ends, um, and so when we when we talk about and 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 in a sense that kind of becomes our own means because we're we're try, we're we're using them to fulfill the categorical imperative by trying to treat them as an ends in a really right. weird twisted right. way. Yeah, and I but I guess um, I don't know if I want to go too deep in in the weeds here with Kant, but I think I think Watilia might actually be a better way of approaching better way of a, or at least a, a, a better way of developing <laughs> what Kant is pointing to in the second, in the second formulation. Right. But I guess right. the issue I'm trying to get at is, is there a way, and I think Watilia's idea of personalism fits here well, of perceiving the, uh, of, of being generally speaking, uh, a human being who is generally objective. Now, I don't think we can be that way at all times because uh, we, we often focus on self-interest, right? We have families, so on and so forth. Um, even though maybe that's a part of the objectivity, I'm not sure. Uh, but it seems like the idea is something like to perceive the values of the world around us correctly is to be objective. And so therefore to, uh, to habituate ourselves, to, to make ourselves align with the, with the values that are out there, um, in the world, most notably in people, uh, uh, in, in God. And so you might say something, if, if I can make a jump to this, uh, the two greatest commandments might be commands to be in our new our understanding of objectivity, to be objective, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That is to see value appropriately. So that's an interesting way to think about it, um, because then perception uh, 
which is part of our subjectivity, is is trying to line up our subjectivity with the way things are. And that um, can be a complicated idea. And, uh, you know, we, we've brought up Carol Vitilia um, and his personalism uh, a little earlier. And I think uh, next time we should uh, take a couple minutes and, and lay out how Vitilia sees us doing that, how, how we can line up our subjective experience with the reality of the world, such that when we, when we are perceiving uh, things, that we're perceiving them as they really are through our subjective experience. Now, that probably sounds pretty confusing, but we'll explain it better in the next podcast. Um, and we look forward to you joining us then. We, we thank you for your time. This is Joel. This is Travis. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Wondering Toward Wisdom podcast, a part of the Tactical Faith Podcast Network. Please check out our page at tacticalfaith.com for our TF Radio podcast, blog, and news about local events. If you'd like to partner with us, please pray for us, share us with your friends, leave comments, and consider donating by going to the Donate tab on our page. If you're interested in having an event in your area in Alabama, please let us know. We'd love to partner with you.